Hello and welcome to Found. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm here with the stem cells to my cord blood. Wow. Jordan Crook. That's Listen, we shouldn't shy away uh, from the topic. No, no, we shouldn't shy away. But like, I just thought as they relate, like, so am I inside you? Oh, okay. I mean, I was thinking like I might be the stem cells to your regular cells, like to your, oh. like, I don't know, skin cells. And you can fix them because or maybe like are... the better comparison is like your brain cells. Cause like you're not just skin cells. Right. I think you're more than cells. that. Yeah. Thank you're you. a special type of cell. I'm a specialized cell. I'm yeah. more special. Yeah. Because you can become any cell. I could be anything. You have lots of potential. So. I know I can be what I want to be. The key here is that we really think about our metaphors here on Found, the TechCrunch podcast, where every week we talk to a different founder about the stories behind the startups, which means basically how they started their business, why they started their business, and how they became the leaders they are today. So just one thing I want to say up front, please be sure to subscribe to Found wherever you're listening right now. Maybe you just came across this because a friend recommended it, but we'd love it if you subscribe and become a regular listener. And also we'd love it if you rate and review us positively, of course, in your podcast platform of choice. So today, Jordan, we're talking to Catherine Cross from Anja Health. Anja offers personalized doctor-backed stem cell savings. So essentially banking those stem cells so you can use them later. Thank God. Are you excited about stem cells? Yeah. No, I mean, I think I'm equally excited and nervous. Maybe that's my Christian upbringing that makes me nervous about stem cells. But yeah, mostly excited. I would say I'm like a 90-10 breakdown there on, on right. a stem cell thing. That's good. And I'm glad you were willing to share the other side of it. What we want is upfront honesty here on Found. Totally. And I think that's what we got from Catherine, too, who shared a lot about her experience with TikTok, which is maybe one of her unique superpowers as a founder. But Catherine is much better at explaining it than I am. So let's hear from Catherine. Hey, Catherine, how's it going? It's good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So we like to start these off with just a quick explanation of the companies we cover. Uh, so do you want to give us a high-level overview of what Anja Health is all about? Yeah, definitely. So Anja Health is the first stem cell safe. And so with that, we help pregnant parents unlock treatments in the future for their family by providing the most personal source of stem cells, which is from the umbilical cord and placenta. So not a lot of people know this, but the umbilical cord and placenta is one of the most rich resources for stem cells. And stem cells are essentially blank cells that can be used to replace and repair damaged cells. And so if you are able to basically save your own, or in our case, cryopreserve it, then you'll be able to use them in the future for different treatments. People have used it for things like even acne treatments, sports injuries, more commonly things like cancers, more dire consequences like multiple sclerosis and things like that. Great. So what are some of the options, I guess, right now? Like if you just don't have anything preserved, are you just kind of out of luck? Like there's not really a stem cell option available to you? Is can you borrow works? someone else's stem cells? Yeah. yeah. So you can search for a donor, but typically it's pretty difficult to find a donor match if you're a person of color or mixed race because the donor pools are normally 
solicited in high income areas. So the donor pool is skewed white and due to the nature of HLA matching and the way tissues are inherited, it's really difficult to find one, especially if you're mixed race. And so that's a pain point that my family knew personally. We tried to search for a match for my brother and we're half Chinese and half white, which I don't think is like that crazy of a mix. But even so, we weren't able to find a match. And even if you can find one, then you have to be on immunosuppressants. So I think in a perfect world, everyone would have their own cord blood stem cells so that they wouldn't have to be on immunosuppressants and they wouldn't have to go through the toil of finding a match and the financial cost of potentially buying one if your insurance doesn't cover it. Right on. Right. Because so, I guess if it's like not your own, it's the same as an organ donor, right? It's like the yeah. host. What do they call it? Host donor? Yeah. Some, yeah. Creepy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, not particularly creepy, but once you start saying host, I start thinking about parasites. I'm just being a, no, a clinical, technical. medical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. I have a question though. So like, mm-hmm. This feels very like futuristic, right? Like I probably weren't talking about this when I was younger, (laughs) but then what do you, so I like save my placenta, I cryo freeze it, we're good to go. I get like an injury. Like what do you just like, oh, I have my own stem cells, like to the doctor, like what can be done right now from that standpoint? Because it feels like that's all even further in the future, like stem cell treatments. Yeah. So, I mean, we have some parents who are pregnant and very immediately reach out to us even before giving birth, asking about that protocol because they have like a parent or something like that, that is developing some sort of disease. Or I remember one mom called me, her stepson had leukemia and the baby was going to be her stepson's half brother. So yeah, it's a question that, that comes up, but essentially we tell parents that they can be in touch with their physician or whatever physician is overseeing the disease that they're looking to treat and then get their recommendation for a stem cell clinic or a physician that's more familiar with stem cell treatments, or if they, themselves are familiar with stem cell treatments and then wherever they choose to have the treatment and they're able to do it, then we will send it out to them. So very similar to the process of freezing eggs or an embryo or what have you, and then having it go meet the mom in whatever state they want to do the implantation in. Oh, okay. So my question along the same lines was like, is it as easy as like, oh, we got some. Like, let me just throw them in the truck. It's not quite that, but it's kind of like, like it is your right, I guess, as a patient to be like, well, we would like to use this for the, and the physician, if they understand it, will will be like, yeah, "Yeah, sure. I mean, it could be that simple. I recently spoke with a candidate that received a stem cell treatment because he had leukemia and he had acute leukemia. And so it comes on very quickly when it's acute, but you can also, they, they typically treat it also very aggressively in a short amount of time. So he was only in the hospital for 28 days and then was pretty much on the mend at that point. And it took him a few years to recover totally. But yeah, like he received a stem cell treatment in that time. So in that like 28 day turnaround, he received like chemo and a stem cell transplant. So yeah, like for instance, in his case, he found a donor, but he's white. And so he found one in Germany and he even told me there were only like two or three people in the world that he was eligible to match with. So even for him, it was sort of like scarce resources. So in his case, if his parents had banked his cord blood, then he would have been immediately able to reach out to us, for instance, and then we could just send it to the hospital in Northwestern that was conducting the stem cell treatment. And then, yeah, he would have been able to receive it pretty immediately. So it's either injected locally into the site that needs it or via an IV transfusion type thing. Wild. Yeah. How do you market and like communicate this 
type of stuff, right? Like I think that like the communication around it would be, cause for me, like I hear this and I'm like, okay, well that makes a lot of sense. Like, especially considering that stem cells are probably going to cure something that I get when I'm older mm-hmm. that like doesn't have a cure right now. Like it just, it only grows, but like it, right. it feels like it might be hard as a company to kind of like communicate this because it's not, it takes like planning mm-hmm. and like what could happen. Right. It's like an insurance company, but better, obviously, (laughs) insurance companies are awful. Yeah. Yeah. So my TikTok has been a real friend to me when it comes to messaging and education. So yeah, I have a TikTok with around, I think I hit hit 117,000 this morning um, followers. And so- Just casual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's been really interesting because it's allowed me to test a lot of different messaging as well and sort of see what kinds of questions come up. What's interesting is that because I think once I hit like 100K, then there's like a huge amount of credibility. And so people will come back and when they're in labor or if they gave birth, then they're able to come back to my page and comment that they're giving birth or what have you. And so, yeah, I get like a lot of reviews that way and things like that. So it's a real clear pipeline to my users. And I think it's for sure the future of content marketing. Yeah. I mean, looking at your page, like it's because it's not like you were like also doing it's like you're focused on this one very specific topic. Right. But there's clear appetite for it. Yeah. Yeah. I do talk about pregnancy in general. Hmm. Um, So and like occasionally I'll put in some like celebrity pregnancy information. So things like Amber Heard surrogacy. That's just good sense. <laughs> she's that makes sm- sense. Yeah, yeah, she's all smart in it. TikTok's smart, but you're smarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I talk about other things generally related to pregnancy. And then I also talk about my product. But yeah, I mean, I think... The future of content marketing is that every brand basically becomes their own influencer. And so in my case, yeah, I think it was lucky for me because I had previously done quite a bit of content creation. I grew up in LA and, you know, I feel like if you grew up in LA, there's some sort of exposure you have to entertainment. So like I used to like Twitch stream, I managed my own discord related to like my gaming. Are you a gamer? <laughs> I played chess, but it, I wasn't like streaming it um, and like playing constantly. Um, I just went on a roller coaster of emotion. Did you guys see that? <laughs> yeah, I just tested streaming for a month. I basically tested like every channel as a form of content creation just to see like what it was like to grow on it. And Twitch was definitely pretty out there. But yeah. So did you pay to grow your TikTok in any way? Mm-hmm. Or like, are you just out there hustling? Yeah, yeah. I post about like eight to 10 times a day. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. That's like a full time job. More than we- <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I've gotten faster at it. <laughs> It's more than what you put on the site. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten faster at it. So it only takes me about like an hour to make that many videos or a little bit over that. Oh, an hour to make eight to 10? Yeah. Or an hour per video? That's good. Yeah. That is insane That's good. That's good efficiency. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think typically it's not like that normal to make that many videos, but. Yeah, that's that's what I do. I found this So do you plan it? I'm like fascinated by this. Do you like wake up on <laughs> Monday morning and you're like, here's a week's worth of ideas for videos. And then you yeah. just like bang them out. I, I don't like batch create. I think that's too exhausting. Yeah, I mm. typically just, I have a list of ideas that are going viral or that I've seen people talk about in comments and things like that. And then I'll sort of go from there. 
But typically I just like do things off the cuff or I'll respond to comments. And also I think if you batch create, then you don't have the chance to hop on trends when they happen. So yeah, yeah things like Amber Heard surrogacy I talked about in the past week, or I use like an audio from the trial and things like that that are more timely. And so, yeah, you just have to be able to keep up with trends. So yeah, I don't batch create. I'll just set aside like an hour every day and try to make videos. That's cool. Cool. When you were like doing this, because you mentioned you've been doing this for a long time, were you always thinking about it as like, these are future tools that I will use professionally? Or were you just kind of, did you get into it for other reasons, like for fun or for hobby or whatever, and then later it became that? Or did you always kind of think like, this is what I'll use to kind of like power my <laughs> empire. Yeah, no, it was always for fun. Yeah, like the Twitch thing was because one of my friends as uh, a Twitch manager and he like he manages Twitch streamers and he told me that he thinks I'd be able to grow really fast if I like do certain things on my page or whatever. So yeah, so I did the Discord and like created all the like special iconography for my page and all the recommendations that he had. And then, yeah, I Twitch streamed chess for a month every day for about an hour and then tested it. I started getting paid after two weeks. So I think it was an interesting experience. Yeah, Whoa. but that was more like a COVID project, especially during COVID. I was taking on all these like extra content creation ideas just out of interest. So for founders nice. that are listening right now, right, that maybe don't have your like history in the content creation space, but also believe what you're saying about like brands becoming their like own believe in those channels. Yeah. yeah. Like what would you, what, were, what are the basics, right? Like if we we're doing like content marketing 101, what would you say like the top three things that they need to focus on or do are? Mm. I think number one would be deciding what your channel is. So like for me, like I used to do Model UN and I think that primed like my love for public speaking and speaking off the cuff. And so TikTok was my channel. Whereas like with Twitter, I feel like it involves a lot of like careful crafting of your diction. So if writing is your thing and especially like in an active voice, then I think Twitter could be good. Instagram is good. I think if you are good with like graphics. And also mm. if you like to make bold statements in like a visual way, yeah, I think it just depends. And YouTube could be like long form, but I think YouTube is quite intensive. So I would just start with like TikTok or yeah, even a podcast. I don't know. Yeah. As I mentioned, I used to have a podcast as well. So that was also yeah. like one of my COVID projects. I had a, we did like a business and fashion podcast um, with one of my best friends. And so yeah, I found that a podcast was really difficult to grow unless you have like a pretty big platform like TechCrunch. Hey, even then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, so I would say Nick's like a podcast and YouTube unless you have like a very immediate platform. So I would say number one, find your channel. Number two, try to find your voice. And if you don't think that you're voice or like your general niche is easy to find, then consult with someone uh, like an influencer in that space. And then number three would be to just make sure to stay engaged and close with the audience that you want to reach. So constantly getting their feedback and interacting with them and making sure that you're hitting the people that you want to reach. Nice. Yeah. That, I mean, when you're talking about it, because it's cool. I never thought about the breakdown. That's really like eye-opening to me about what happens on each and the fact that on TikTok, it's like extemporaneous speech basically mm -hmm. is what you're going for, right? Which is really cool. And then, yeah, YouTube has yeah. become essentially like Hollywood Junior in terms of like the emphasis on like production quality and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, but and, and the listening to- All my to gamer friends say YouTube is over. Oh, really? And, well, they're on Twitch, yeah. right? Or is that 
not. I don't know. Yeah, but like YouTube gaming was doing really well. And I think they're just talking about mm. it in general as like a channel. Like mm. I don't think they're saying like gaming shouldn't be on YouTube. They're just like, we're over YouTube. Gotcha. All right. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> Anecdotally. <laughs> uh, that's that's how it, the cookie crumbles. Yeah. But listening to comments too, like that was also really eye-opening for me because I guess... <laughs> Me and Jordan maybe come from a generation where it's like the mantra was like, don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. And I think, do yeah. we even have, yes, we have t- comments in TechCrunch. I know that. I know that. Oh, we don't even know <laughs> anymore because we've literally like, do not look below that line. Yeah, yeah. Don't okay. go there. And then we don't like, we obviously, uh, well, we, we don't listen to your comments. We don't need feedback. Listeners. Like if you are making, <laughs> if you're writing something under the article, none of us have ever seen it. And we've never written an article based on what you said under there, right? I feel like mm. that's true. But it's like. Is it to protect yourself from hate? I don't, maybe. I think Most it was Most of the that. time. It was def- a lot of like ego defense early on. Mm. and But it also becomes this thing where like, for what? Like it's, there's a lot of like arguments that are about like the spelling of a word and it's like thank you you're a copy editor like good for you but like you know Hmm. it just it it's like twitter it's like trying to have any meaningful conversation on twitter also ends up becoming a right like people will ignore the points and go after instead of typo or something so yeah i think it starts as like ego defense because you get like someone really hateful in there but then you also some most of the time I, i i think i've read like one or two really thoughtful useful comments in 11 years mm-hmm. being a reporter uh-huh. the rest it's like well for what like we all just wasted our right. time like you mm-hmm. wasted your time i wasted my time like but what, there's no resolution what's interesting about that is like we do twitter spaces a lot now right and like we'll open those up and say like does anybody have a question and there's no screening or anything on that like mm-hmm. people just go like yeah and then we go okay and we'll put them up and usually it's good. Usually it's like good, intelligent, thoughtful, nice comment, like actually has yeah. something worthwhile to contribute. So maybe it's mm-hmm. the format and, the, and TikTok's kind of A more format. similar to that format because it's like yeah. audio yeah, response. Think- well, also the content, right? Like, so Twitter spaces works because you have to use your actual voice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so there's some sort of identifying quality of like actually saying the words out loud rather than typing them. Yeah. I think for you and TikTok, it's like such a niche category that has, there's not a lot to argue with there. It doesn't feel like, right? Like um, maybe. Be surprised. <laughs> really? Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, actually, now that I think about it, I could see, <laughs> see where some bad stuff would come in. But yeah. like, you know, people are just trying to find answers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe feels like less debatable. Maybe yeah. I'm just well, misguided. I mean, it's not like typically like hate comments. Yeah. I do get a lot of comments just like trying to understand. I think the most negative comments I get are around delayed cord clamping, actually, which is like the practice after birth of waiting to cut the cord. And you can like typically OBGYNs that I've worked with or spoken to about this only do it for around 45 seconds. So the idea is that if you can let some of the cord blood back into the baby, it demonstrates boosted iron levels in about the first six months of life. But even like Cleveland Clinic and things like that have made statements about how doing any longer than 60 seconds doesn't have any more benefits Hmm. than just doing it for 60 seconds. So you may as well bank the rest. And so with us, you can delay cord clamping for max two minutes, and then we can still get a sufficient cord blood volume, Um, especially because of the way we process our stem cells. We manually process them by hand instead of running through a machine, which allows us to get up to 25% more stem cells because it's an individualized approach. So if there is a really low cord blood volume, we're able to get a sufficient amount. 
So there's a lot of like, I don't know, in the birth space, I've realized there's just in general a lot of controversy, like whether or not you should have a home birth and things like that. And so this is one of those things where like, should you delay cord clamping? And some people like really push for just leaving the umbilical cord on until it dries off basically, which can actually put the baby at risk for infection and the mom. And so there But it's are, one of those things that has very strong adherence and opinionated opinions. people. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's it. a like pretty loud, I think it definitely is a minority, but yeah, it is like a pretty loud minority. So sometimes people will comment things related to that or like, oh, like if your baby does delayed cord clamping, then they'll be so healthy that you don't even have to bank, like you'll never have a use case for cord blood. But I don't know. So in those cases, I'm, I just try to be like, really, <laughs> it seems hard to prove. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So in those cases, I just try to be like pretty pragmatic about it. And if I do get like really negatively charged comments, then I'll usually make an effort to reply because of like NPS experience, but also because it incentivizes them to come back and comment again. (laughs) And so that'll boost my engagement. So yeah. I have a question about like the whole content marketing thing still. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's just where I'm living now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are few kind of like health tech, biotech companies, especially one is like, I think, like medically focused Mm -hmm. as yours that are so brandy. Like the one that comes to mind is, is it Kind Body? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, it feels like a lot of the reason for that is like, you build a lot of credibility by being like this kind of like stodgy, like that's what we expect, right? From, mm-hmm. from things like that. Like you don't want a surgeon to come in like authentic, like, no, be f-ing serious, right? <laughs> like I don't want, you know, and I, I've actually heard some things about kind body where people who have gone have been like, it feels very marketing forward to where mm-hmm. you like, don't quite get what you expect out of them because you're like, oh, cool, authentic, awesome. Oh, but then- okay. They're a little disheveled. So I'm just curious if that's something that you think about, right? Like, because you're talking about really serious things like high stakes business. And it is like a serious business, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's buttoned up in a lot of ways. And then you're authentic and on TikTok and kind of doing things off the cuff. How do you balance that and think about that in terms of what the brand should be and how people might perceive that? Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about that, especially because my account is a personal account. Mm -hmm. It's not my business account. And like, sometimes I've gone live and then I ask people for feedback and typically people will be like, oh, you should show more of like your personal life. Like they want to know more about me. Yeah. So I always think like, how much should I like talk about my personal life? And like, typically when I have, it's like pretty low engagement. Yeah. I think it's interesting, but I think there's like a good balance between being informative and having credibility. I always position it as sort of like in like a cool ant type position because I think in that way, like you see a trusted resource, but it's not necessarily like your physician, like, especially because I talk a lot about just general pregnancy stuff. Like sometimes people will ask me very serious medical questions. So I just let them know, like, this is not medical advice. Like I'm not a physician, but like for any like cord blood related questions, then I can definitely answer those. So yeah. So I just tried to position myself as like the cool ant type vibe and not so much like medical omnipotent resource. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like myself, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's useful because like Jordan was bringing up, I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, I want the professional to be the professional. But I think there's also the reverse trend is true too, right? Where people are like, I don't want to talk to someone who make who 
I don't understand anything they're saying, right? Like, because yeah. it's yes. so advanced it's hard. and so removed from me, right? So Yeah, I mean, a lot of the customer feedback we get is I think they like that I'm on TikTok because I feel so accessible. I interact with comments and I can just like, there's a lot of information. Um, like a lot of moms have told me that they'll literally go back and watch my videos from like months ago just to like understand more. And I think especially if they are pregnant and healthcare feels inaccessible to them, then it's just something to give them general awareness. Because I'll just talk about things like, oh, like in your like blank week, like you can expect like this type of thing. I think it can be informative, especially for those that just don't feel like they can trust their doctor. Mm -hmm. And I think my TikTok has taught me that that's the case for a lot of people. So yeah, I've had people like call our customer service line and be like, oh, I don't know how to like talk to my doctor about this. Like, I just don't feel like he like gets me and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm also trying to think about like helping them garner confidence um, when it comes to speaking with their physician. Yeah, because people should advocate for themselves and feel like they should be able to advocate for themselves, right? And a lot of times they don't. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's not the case for, for a lot of people, especially women. Yeah. So just to switch gears a bit, like I know you talked about the motivation for founding the company and, you know, your brother. I know that he tragically passed away and had cerebral palsy. But like, can you talk a bit more about that? transition that you made from being you know, a content creator to like, no, I want to found a company and I'm going to build this specific thing. So what was that process like for you? And like, how did you decide, like, this is what I'm going to focus on? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in Launch House and I basically joined from Twitter and that was my first foray into the startup world. And this was in 2021, January. And so, yeah, I joined Launch House and I was then working on my consultancy related to Gen Z marketing. And like, I thought it was like the next big thing. But then when I got into startups, I realized that every other person has a Gen Z like marketing agency. <laughs> um, and so then I think it just really exposed me to, it's basically like, you can live with a bunch of other founders and expose me to like even things down to like what Chrome extensions they use to optimize their day. Mm. And that like really taught me so much about just like, yeah, Silicon Valley. And I was so surprised at how so many people just didn't see any boundaries to what they were doing. Like I always thought that when it came to starting a business, there were like a trillion boundaries that you had to stay within the realm of and there were all these glass ceilings and things you had to think about, but people were just like going for it. Mm -hmm. And so- so then my in my like third week of launch house is when my brother passed away. So I came home, but then I decided to go back to launch house after his funeral and such. And I was really grateful for that because I'm such an extrovert. So I think being around others, people comforted me. Hmm. Um, but also I was like thinking like, what kind of action can I take out of this? And yeah, so when it came to thinking about cord blood that could have helped him and a company that I can create in his memory, I think being around other founders was really key in that moment. So people were like really encouraging of quitting my job and stuff like that. Whereas I feel like in like my college circles, everyone was used to like finance and corporate structure. So yeah. when it came to quitting your job, it's sort of like, ooh, like, Maybe you shouldn't do that. But when I was in Launch House, everyone was like, congrats, like <laughs> finally. Yeah, I think that supportive community really 
help me understand what next steps I should take. Nice. So yeah, you were in like when in academia, it's still very much, it's like kind of a risk averse place to be with the exception of mm-hmm. like a few labs here and there, like special programs or whatever. But like, it sounds like Launch House is very much more like a, like an accelerator vibe, basically, where everybody's together being like, no, this is the thing to do. It's all about entrepreneurship. But then it has the side thing of being a creator house. So you bring those two things together. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another thing was I was the only one of my friends on TikTok for the longest time because all of my friends were like, oh, like only young people use that like freshmen. Right. And yeah. But then when I got into TikTok, there were people who were like 27 and 30 who were like on TikTok so trying old. to consume. Friends. <laughs> She's stabbing us in the heart right now. She's like, there were oldies, like the 27 year olds. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> no, you guys don't look. I feel relevant. <laughs> it's just this is literally just because I'm disheveled. That's the only reason I look young. If you look closely, you'll see the wrinkles. Um. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> so yeah. Well, that also that was the age demographic. I think there was someone who was 39. He was on TikTok. But yeah, that was the general age demographic of Launch House. And so they were like posting and like really on it. And they saw it more as like a tool rather than like like social media experience. Whereas like my friends in college and such, like they saw it as yeah, like oh, like that social media that like only freshmen use. Right. Whereas my Launch House friends were seeing it as a tool to go to market and a brand new algorithm and different way to consume content and like a way to build in public that that's new. I think that was also really inspiring was to just see people like going after making TikToks, even though all of my friends like shamed me for even being on it. Right. And now like they're all on it. But in like the beginning of 2020, it was only like my freshman friends that were on it basically. Um, And I had just graduated. So I think that was also really key in launch house cool yeah yeah and is is that how you connected like you've got a really impressive investor list like how did you get connected with them i know you've got alexis on here and then z also from row but Mm -hmm. like yeah how how did you get this list of people did they know about launch house or did you connect them other ways or yeah mostly it was through cold messaging oh nice and i think being in yc really helped with that but I'm, i'm also just pretty persistent like with with people with such a like mass following i think they just have like their inboxes inundated so it's just a matter of like timing and you being at the top of their inbox when they open it yeah I was pretty incessant with some people. That's that's how I got there. Pretty much like every big name was just like a cold email. Wow, um, that's impressive. Well, how what did you put in your email? I know our founders want to know this because they're like, how do you successfully write a cold email to especially yeah, people? Yeah, I mean, with- I would just like update people constantly. I would if I had updates, if I saw that they tweeted something or posted something related to women's health or pregnancy or parenting or like cord blood even or right before I raised. Um, the third person ever was cured of HIV using cord blood. Wow. So there was like quite a bit of buzz and people were posting content about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think honestly, like being in YC really helped with open rates. Yeah, um, for sure. I would definitely put that in like the subject and a lot of them are YC alum or like Alexis used to be a partner and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, as, if you're not getting blocked, you know, like you have like, some kind of signal, right? You're like, well, he's not blocking me, so... That's a good sign. Like, I'll keep yeah, going. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'm just incessant. But yeah, like one of my friends recently told me, I forget what the exact term was, but he was basically like, if you tell too many people that 
you're just cold messaging, then everyone's going to do it and then it won't be effective. So like you're defeating the like efficacy of it for other people. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think plenty of people are, are going to be cold messaging regardless. Yeah, yeah. I don't think having statistical yeah, statistically significant impact on the number of people cold messaging, right? But um, we, yeah, our yeah. inboxes speak to that. I mean, we have a lot of that too. We don't even have yeah. any, we don't have any money. We can't give you any money. So. <laughs> can't yeah. do anything for you, really. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so I guess, like, what makes you open certain cold messages? Uh, I mean, I guess it is. I mean, a lot of it is subject, because I don't really get past mm-hmm. subject. subject. Line. Like, yeah, right. I'm not clicking. I'm not even remotely close to inbox zero. Like, I, yeah. I probably see, just see in the inbox, like, 4 to 5% of what yeah. right, comes right. through. And I yeah. look like once a day. And if you don't catch me in the window, I use like compact view too. I think that's what it's called. Like whatever is like yeah. each line, each email gets one line. Right. So I'm not okay. reading past the subject because there's nothing there past the subject except for like, mm-hmm. hi, Daryl. And it's like, well, that part I, I know you got me. You got my name right most of the time. But a lot of people don't, which is also. Yeah, it's shocking how. Because <laughs> it's like it is in my email. Rare. You had to type my email or something or look at it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, also, like, I think the nature of the business helped with my open rates. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, I, I had a couple investors tell me that they typically never respond to cold messages, but they did because this is just like such a unique business. Yeah. So yeah, like one of my investors was like, yeah, we're just tired of investing in B2B SaaS. And like, I totally wish I did this with my kids. So like, we'll just put in a check, like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, So I think it's my like business itself just kind of has a wow factor. Yeah. Yeah, So I think that that also helped. I think it's definitely like a key future of tech thing that people are kind of like generally aware of, but don't know, maybe don't know any much specific about, but like know that it's like, an up and coming area of interest and investment and study. And like you said, with that one example, most people have some kind of personal experience of it or like know that it could have some experience or like have young kids Mm -hmm. or like there's somewhere where it touches their life, but they're not sure exactly how they just know it's something people talk about and has a lot of potential. Right. And as you said Mm -hmm. too, like there's tons of things that come up because it's interesting you bring up like, I guess what we would call in the old school, like, PR media business like newsjacking, but like newsjacking mm-hmm. for like cold pitches or just like engaging people in conversation, right? Right. Which is like, oh, this came up in the media, so I want to talk to people about it. Whether that's your audience on TikTok or cold emailing Alexa Cyanian or whatever, right? So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. I mean, we're almost out of time here, but did you have what were kind of like your biggest challenges, I guess, when you're doing all this? And is there anything that you look back on and you're like, well, you know, from the perspective of here, like I maybe would have gone about this a little bit differently or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like as a first time founder and like I went to a school that wasn't exposed to startup culture, like I went to Wellesley and that's like a historically women's college. And today, like still there's no cis men on campus. And on top of that, like it just funnels into finance because it's on the East Coast. I didn't even know what venture was or like YC like a couple months before I applied. Right. So I think there were many, many mistakes that I made as a result. <laughs> so I've just tried to read a lot, like the typical like startup canonical literature, like the great CEO within, or like I know Ryan Breslow has recently become a controversial figure, but I think his books are really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to read has honestly prompted a lot of decisions, but I think even things like hiring sooner for a really long time, I was like, no, like I just need to 
lay the groundwork basically until I can figure out like what the true hire should be. But instead I, yeah, so that, so that's what I did. It was like just me for like a really long time. One of my investors recently told me, you basically just have to like hold on to the electric fence like as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, so just things like that I think I, I would have done differently. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's... It's wild how many more people there are than us that like are like, I didn't know anything about VC or YC and I just like signed up and like went out and built a successful business yeah. and you and I are sitting here like... <laughs> oh, me and you, Jared. Yeah, I mean, well... Oh, yeah, me and you. Like, I mean, it's just like... Look at you go. Our fate is sealed, Jeremy and you. We're that's done. Oh, we have we're, nothing but mistakes in the rear view mirror. Yeah, <laughs> we're not even learning. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Catherine. It was great talking to you, and yeah, super illuminating. I mean. It's crazy. Your founder story is so much different than a lot of the people are. Or, uh, well, they're all different, yeah, but I mean, it's super interesting. Yeah, it's very unique, and it was it was and great. like unexpected. Yeah, yeah, it was great of you to share yeah, that with us. I like it. So thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you or anyone you know is pregnant, then definitely hit us up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Jordan. That was our chat with Catherine. Did you become a TikTok star since we spoke with her? I did. I actually did download TikTok as we were talking to her. Oh, really? Which I have resisted doing since TikTok uh-huh. it started existing. I have it, but I am a purely a consumer and then only a very occasional one. So yeah. you create, you've created some? No, consumer. Purely a consumer. Oh, an occasional consumer is what you meant. Yeah. I thought you were a purely a consumer and an occasional creator. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I will never, you'll be hard pressed to find me. Making TikToks. I'm going to start doing them. <laughs> Should we make one at Climate, our first one? That was the, you heard the claps from my. Yeah, he was TikTok dancing. Action. You missed it. I think that's also like TikTok circa like three years ago. I don't even think that's current TikTok. Yeah, now they're like, there is, I found one lady who does readings of it, bizarre court transcripts. She's a lawyer and she goes and finds like funny, insane moments from court yeah. and reads the transcripts in like a Valley Girl voice. Oh. So that would be my reco. Well, that's related though, because this is this is kind of what Catherine's done. Like, it's not like she did a goofy style, but it's this professional TikTok movement where people right. are using it related to their. They careers, have their own right? like shows. It's what Quibi wanted to be. I mean, not entirely what Quibi wanted to be, but yeah. like, it's not just let's do a dance over music anymore. There's a lot going on on TikTok, and you can really find like your niche yeah. and get answers to your questions and learn more about things. And she's definitely done that. And I was so pleased that the content of our conversation, I mean, we talked about stem cells and we talked about like the math and the science and stuff, but like it was such a curveball mm-hmm. that we spent most of our time talking about like TikTok and content marketing, particularly for such a serious business. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I liked that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think so too. And, and yeah, it's a thing where you like go into it thinking like these are maybe unlikely bedfellows, I suppose. But like she's so genuine about it. She's so, I guess, unpretentious about it. Like she's quite successful on the platform, right? But she's very practical about her approach to it. And I appreciated her sharing very transparently like this is what I do and why I do it this way and how it benefits the business. And you know, and she's also very part of the thing that I think was maybe surprising to me, and that I think a lot of maybe founders from different generations, like honestly, founders who aren't as young as Catherine, would be more indirect about saying stuff like, oh, like 
the Amber Heard trial came up or whatever, the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial came up and like I used that as a lever. And it's like, wow, okay, like that's just very direct that like you realize this is an opportunity to speak to your customers and you're not kind of like dancing around it or anything. You're just saying like, no, no. Yeah, like this is what makes sense, right? And that's like a big difference maker when you think about like credibility. Like you can tap into something in an authentic way that still serves people. And when you do, you can be pretty honest and straightforward about it as opposed to it being like nefarious yeah. or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the word I'm I'm looking for is, but yeah. I, Cause like, I think that we're self-serving maybe. Right. I, I was going to say opportunistic, but that's not right either. Cause that actually gets at the heart of it because a word like opportunistic now has negative connotations for, but I truly this us. is opportunistic right. yeah. in a fine way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like knowing where your audience is and meeting them there and in the smartest way possible. Right. And yeah, I think it's cool too that she covers the stem cell area, but she's expanded it to pregnancy in general. Right. Which is like the right exact time to be talking to customers who might not even be aware that your product category exists in the space that she's operating in. Right. Because I mean, that is the only time really like <laughs> you can't if you're, yeah. oh, I have a five-year-old. It's like, well, sorry, you just, this product isn't for you. <laughs> it's much too late. It's five years too late, actually. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that she was really interesting. And I thought that she had pretty great advice for how to go about something like this. Because I think a lot of founders are interested in taking advantage of some of these social channels, particularly before they can hire like the the Gen Zer to right. come on and try to do it for them, but are probably not. They've been spending their time doing science and building businesses and maybe don't have this like innate natural skill set or experience. And so I thought that was pretty useful kind of advice that she had to give. Yeah, I think it, the main message I took away from that, like, is if you come and you're authentic with your audience and your message, like you will find a community there. Like it didn't really seem like age was an issue, although that's remains to be seen. And that was a pretty funny part of this episode too, because it definitely made both of us, I think, feel like we were about 700 million years old. So that was nice. She was like, there was a TikToker once who was 27. (laughs) Oh, cool. Which I think to be fair to Catherine, not at all a reflection on her. It wasn't. No, she didn't mean to break our spirits, but (laughs) that was the result. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, I think that's about does it for my thoughts on this one because I have to very urgently go out and get my, I think my MySpace, I need to clean it up and get that out there because I feel like get that going. it's coming back around and then I'll be. You think so? Yeah. I'll be primed there to attract my audience and, you know, they'll buy my, I haven't decided what I'm going to sell yet, but I'm going to do it on MySpace, God. I think. So I'm just having like a flashback of my own MySpace and like, Ooh, <laughs> what was happening there? What? I had a lot of a lot of emotions. We all had a lot of emotions and they had to go on think somewhere. So Give Me More by Britney Spears was my like play in song. <laughs> Why? Oh wow. Oh. I wish I Good hope times. these are archived somewhere. If people listeners, if you can I, find like, them. I like pray to God that they're not. No. Them, do not to call to action Let with that. No, 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 no. Thank you. Don't wanna know. Don't wanna know. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. 
You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. No, you guys don't look dirty. <laughs> <laughs>